When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. I'm the only thing standing between the American dream and total anarchy, madness, and chaos. In the midst of a deadly global pandemic, on November 3rd, the United States will go to the polls for an era-defining election. In the coming weeks on Intelligence Squared, we'll be speaking to world-leading experts about what's at stake in Biden versus Trump. The most important election of our lifetime. This is the most important election of our times. Probably one of the most important elections of our lifetime. This is the most important election in our lifetimes. Politicians say every time, oh, this is the most important election. This one's really that important. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Connor, and welcome to this Intelligence Squared Election Day special. Today, we're here to answer your questions about how Joe Biden and Donald Trump have performed in the final days of the presidential race. What are the key battleground states that you should be looking out for as the votes start being counted in the next 24 hours? And what's at stake for the country and the world as a whole? We have a great set of guests. Danielle Pletka and Emily Tamkin joined us, and the podcast was hosted by Manveen Rana, senior investigative journalist at The Times and Sunday Times, and she's also the host of a great podcast called Stories of Our Times. And if you enjoy our content, you should check out that podcast via the link in our episode description. But now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome to this Intelligent Squared election special with me, Manveen Rana. We're recording on November the 2nd, the eve of what's set to be the most momentous election, not just for America, but for the world. To help us understand what's likely to happen, I'm delighted to introduce our guests today. We're joined by Danielle Pletka, former vice president and current senior fellow in foreign and defense policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. She teaches US Middle East policy at Georgetown University, and she's a regular contributor to NBC News Meet the Press. And we're also joined by Emily Tamkin, the US editor at the New Statesman, where she co-hosts the World Review podcast. She's also the author of The Influence of Soros and the forthcoming book, Bad Jews. Welcome both. Now, we've seen today that 95 million Americans have already voted with one day to go before the election. Do you think by this time on Wednesday, we'll have a clear idea of the winner? What sort of time do you think viewers can safely go to bed? Danielle first. We've we've heard from Pennsylvania state officials that, that the odds are that they're not going to be able to finish 
counting their absentee ballots, their mailed-in ballots, by tomorrow night. And given the importance of Pennsylvania, unless we see blowouts in other states, we may actually not be able to go to bed satisfied or dissatisfied and knowledgeable tomorrow night. Will, do you think we'll have a clear idea if if Florida comes in early? I mean, Emily, you know, we've seen a lot of frenzied last-minute campaigning in a few of these states. What, what are the battleground states and which ones will really decide this election? So the two areas that I think your listeners can are, are going to want to look at are the Sun Belt states and the Rust Belt states. So Sun Belt, we're thinking of Florida, Georgia, Arizona, even Texas was tied, according to a morning consult poll today. And those states can start counting early votes ahead of time. So you know, North Carolina, for example, 97% of the votes will be counted tomorrow. But the Rust Belt states, that's Wisconsin, that's Michigan, and that's Pennsylvania, down to which many people are saying this election is going to come, those won't, those have very, are very limited in what they can start counting before election day. And for that reason, you know, if if Florida is very clearly called for Biden, which I'm extremely skeptical will happen just because Florida is, is very often very close between the two parties. If it's a Biden blowout in Florida and Texas, then yes, sure, we'll know. But I, I, I think it's extremely important that we in the media frame this as, as you know, the, the election is called when the votes get counted, not when the clock strikes midnight on November 3rd. So when when do you think we'll have a clear idea? Uh, it may be a few days is, is my my best guess. Now, it, this is further complicated because both parties have teams of lawyers ready to go to take challenges one way or the other about which votes can be counted or not in the courts. The president this weekend made news by saying that, you know, as soon as November 3rd is over, he's going to send the lawyers in and stop the counting in Pennsylvania. So it, it could take a... F- I don't have a clear answer for you. It could be the night of. It could take a few days just for the counting to be continued, or it could be weeks of protracted legal battles. And if there are legal battles, do we know what grounds they'd be going on, Emily? You know, it it really depends on on the state. So there have been some cases about for how long you can count the ballots. And the Supreme Court actually had kind of came down with two different decisions in Pennsylvania where they said you could keep the ballot extension because it had was a state court that had made the decision versus in Wisconsin where a federal court that made the decision to extend the deadline that you could continue to receive ballots, excuse me. Uh, and so the Wisconsin extension was thrown out, whereas the Pennsylvania extension remained. In Texas today, actually, maybe while we're recording this, uh, a federal judge in Texas is deciding whether you can accept ballots that are, are dropped off by car at curbside voting and whether that is considered valid or not. Um, the Texas Secretary of State said, yes, you can. A Texas Supreme Court said, yes, you can. But the Texas Republican Party brought this case to the federal court as well. So, you know, we're, we're seeing it challenged on, on a, new, a number of grounds. It's we're, we're, We should expect challenges on for how long the counting can take place, for how long you can continue to accept the ballots, right, because we're having an unprecedented amount of ballots sent by mail this year, and how the ballots were distributed as we're seeing in Texas now. And Danielle, if this does turn into a protracted legal battle, how important is Amy Coney Barrett's appointment to the Supreme Court in, in deciding all of this? That's a very interesting question, and I don't think any of us know the answer. So Amy Coney Barrett was um, was sworn into to 
office and uh, and immediately confronted with two uh, of the cases that that Emily has just been talking about about uh, about the length of time that states can count votes one a, a revisitation of Pennsylvania's uh, Pennsylvania's uh, decision to count votes later and uh, and another and uh, and she chose to recuse herself she said that she hadn't had sufficient time in order to review the the case history and uh, I'm sure that was very disappointing to a lot of people who who had been a little bit hysterical about her appointment but that's what she did now will she be in that same position later on I suspect not. On the other hand, you know, she is a she is a judge. She's not a, a political partisan, and so while the Republican activists may think that it's going to be a boon to them and Democrats, uh, let's say Democrat uh, uh, alarmists, may think that it's going to be uh, going to tip the election. Uh, to to Donald Trump, in fact, Donald Trump may even think that. Uh, I suspect that 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 she will make decisions on the merits. Let's hope it doesn't end up there, because God knows, last time it ended up in the courts, it was a nightmare. Well, I mean, talking of it being a nightmare, if there is a Biden win, uh, Emily, do you do you think there'll be a peaceful transfer of power? Um, the short answer is that yes, I do think that if it's a Biden win, we will have a clear transfer of power. What I also think, though, is that Trump will, I mean, I think it's important to remember that Donald Trump said that the election was, that there had been um, electoral corruption last time, and he won the election, right? But he said that if there hadn't been fraud, that he would have won the popular vote by even more votes. So if, if that's the claim that he made when he won, I think that if he loses, we should expect him to make similar claims. Now, I think that if it's a significant, if Biden wins by a significant margin, then he can kind of, he can say that I, I think that if it's if it's a clear Biden win I do I don't think that Republican senators will will join him in that my concern is that this election is very narrow one way or the other and that it gets and that it gets tied up in the courts and votes and votes get thrown out and you know it, because because so much doubt has already been cast on the electoral process by the president I, I do worry that that not not you know not that it undermines the legitimacy of the results so much as it it undermines the legitimacy of the of the process like to to me that's what the next that's what what's so important about the next few days it's not it's uh, you know people feel so strongly about the two candidates and their and their policies and there are very real consequences of this election and we can talk about that but the faith that we have in our electoral process and the legitimacy and the 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 idea that it's the people who decide about the courts i think all of that is extremely important and at stake in the next few days daniel there have been there have been sort of reports or, or of you know certainly fears of violence after the election do you think that's a realistic prospect it seems realistic after this year i'm not quite sure where they think the violence is going to spring from the all of the all of the the, the cities that have that have suggested that shop owners put up put up uh, uh, plywood barricades. These tend to be metropolitan areas that are largely dominated by Democrats: Chicago, Philadelphia, D.C., Los Angeles, New York. But certainly, there have been suggestions that unhappy that those unhappy with the with the outcome may may turn to violence. Uh, I hope that's not true, but the reality is that even in situations that have nothing to do with politics, 
big sports teams winning, for example. We've seen uh, uh, violence in, in the cities that I mentioned. And it has unfortunately been uh, one of those years in which uh, people believe that the best way to express their political views is by throwing rocks at the police and by, uh, and by breaking shop fronts and ruining people's lifelong investments in their businesses. It's not really, uh, not really one of those things that's easy for a lot of people to understand. But is there a real risk? Of course there's a real risk. And is there a sense on the ground? I mean, Emily, this is one of those elections which divides people so much and it sort of evokes so much emotion on both sides. Is, is there a danger of that tipping over? Does, does it feel very different to any other election? I think in the sense that it's very polarised, that's that's not different necessarily, right? I think it was extremely polarised last time, and every election feels like this is the most intense election that we've ever had. Like, it felt this way for the first Obama election, it felt this way for Obama's re-election, that, that kind of division, right? I, I think what's different is that the, the, the logistics of the election are so different, the fact that it's in a pandemic makes it so different. I think that that has, has heightened some of the tension that 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 you're describing. I, I also think that this the fact that this has been a year of, you know, we've seen protests, we've seen militias, we've seen there's been violence. I think that that we we didn't necessarily have that, even though we had polarization in in years past. If that makes sense. I mean, there there were sorry I should clarify there were protests in years past. I think they and I, I should say that most of the protests, at least the Black Lives Matter protests that we've seen this year have been have been peaceful. But I think that we have not necessarily seen the scale of protests that we've seen this year or the scale of extremist violence that we've seen this year in an election year before in the United States, coupled with the fact that people are frustrated for economic reasons and because we're still in a in a pandemic. I mean, Emily, you mentioned earlier the the consequences of this election and how important they are. You know, it has already been described in, in the media as sort of a pivotal moment, not only for the future of America, but for democracy all over the world. I mean, is that is is that right, or is that an exaggeration? I mean, I wrote one. I wrote one such piece saying that um, saying that this is uh, that this is a defining moment for America. I mean, it's democracy. not that I'm asking you to justify your words, but justify your words. And I really, yeah. And I actually said while I said in the in the piece that I, I understand, I understand that I sound like a paranoid, like a, like it's, it's it sounds like a very dramatic thing to say. You know, Danielle referred to alarmists earlier, and I do sometimes feel like I'm like I sound like an alarmist when I write about this. But I just think that. Having a sitting president undermine the legitimacy of the of of his reelection is is so unprecedented, and that the way that the next few days go are really going to sort of set us on course for where we go next. Now there are other there are other policy issues on which the two candidates are very different. I mean, you can look at you can look at climate change or the way that they engage with the with, with multilateralism or on immigration or on healthcare. Right, like there there are many policy differences, and I don't mean to suggest that those aren't important or that there are not people who vote. I would hope that many people vote for policy reasons. But I think that that the fact that the very concept of the election is also being campaigned on is, is, is what brings us into uncharted and, and scary waters.
The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Because whether you're thinking about challenges big or small, let's not dress it up life can be pretty stressful. So it's healthy to have a place to discuss those thoughts and share what's on your mind. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. We've heard from plenty of the biggest thinkers on psychology and wellness on this podcast, and it's clear that therapy doesn't always have to be solely about addressing some big scary trauma. It could just be a way to learn a few new coping skills and empower you to become the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com intelligence today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot intelligence. Danielle, you, you recently wrote a piece too. Uh, you wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post in which you said you wouldn't have thought of voting for Trump in 2016 but you are thinking of voting for him tomorrow. Why is that? You sound shocked and displeased. No, I just wanted to know what, what, what had changed your mind. Well, What's uh, the process you've gone through in the last four years? Part of it is, the, is the, the, the kind of chat that I've just heard from Emily. You know, the notion that our democracy is somehow in peril. Well, of course, the reason that so many people think our democracy is in peril is because the outcome is not desirable to them. You know, Donald Trump is a is 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 a is a deeply dislikable president, uh, and and says things that are highly objectionable. But I'm not quite sure why we need to give a pass to to Joe Biden when he says the only possible way that he could lose the election is chicanery, or when the person who delivered him South Carolina, James Clyburn, suggests much the same thing. You know, I'm not quite sure why we pay so much attention to the president's rubbish and not to his competitor's rubbish. Because if you want to demean our electoral process, then really I think it's been open season. Now, the president has a special responsibility, and we know that Donald Trump has not taken seriously that special responsibility to talk about things in the way that we would expect an inhabitant of the White House should. On the other hand, I would suggest that there's plenty of that to go around. Now, as to the question of, as to the question of why, you know, uh, I actually view the last four years as a testament to the strength of our democracy. I view the last four years as a testament to the strength of our institutions. If our institutions didn't work, we wouldn't have had 
the impeachment effort. We wouldn't have had the Russia investigation. We wouldn't have had all of the efforts that have been made by the Democratic Party and all of the efforts made by the institutions of our own government to stand in the way of Donald Trump's mistakes, Donald Trump's errors of judgment, Donald Trump's attempts to sidestep the rules and the norms that we see. In short, what we see is our system working and and Donald Trump sort of wearing all of his problems on his sleeve. But that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of him as a candidate. What is it about him that's that's brought you around? I'm not sure you read my piece. I don't think I. I don't think. I don't think there was a ringing endorsement of Donald Trump as a candidate <laughs> in there. No, but what would make you vote for him? What would make over me Joe vote, Biden? What would make me vote for him is is exactly what is what is making so many Biden candidates, uh, Biden voters, vote for Biden. It is the prospect of. The end of the filibuster in the United States Senate. The admission of the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico into the, into the Union in order to secure four more Democratic senators. The enlargement of the House of Representatives in order to change the Electoral College. The packing of the Supreme Court and our appellate courts and our other federal courts in order to secure a balance congenial to particular outcomes. The idea of the perversion of our institutions in order to secure outcomes congenial to one political party seems to me to be a far greater menace than the blathering of Donald Trump. That's at least what I said. And and Emily, you mentioned the pandemic and how that's made this election unlike any other. We recently had John Micklethwaite, the editor of Bloomberg News, on, on this podcast, said that the pandem- without the pandemic, Donald Trump would have had a very strong chance of winning a second term. But it's his mishandling of the virus that means he's, he, you know, he's lagging in the polls. Do you agree? Is, is the pandemic really the, the main issue for voters? What, what's, what's shifting opinion? I, I agree that the pandemic is a huge issue for voters. And I also I do agree that it changed the course of this election. I wrote I, I my column this week says that I, I made two predictions at the, like way back in 2019, which were that Joe Biden would be the candidate and that Donald Trump would win reelection. And for the latter, it was because it didn't nothing really seemed to to touch him. He hovered at a 40 percent approval rating. You know, he was and, and also because I, I think that Many of the issues that we in you know in Washington or in the media cover, like like the Russia investigation, like impeachment, like potential Hatch Act violations, I, I don't know how how much average voters care. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't be covered. It doesn't mean they're not important. It means that that's not what is bringing somebody to the polls one way or the other. And also, Trump was very good, has been very good at the past four years of changing the subject from you know from one scandal to another, from one topic to another, or. or or what have you, you kind of can't do that with the pandemic, right? The virus is not scrolling through Twitter. The virus is not watching CNN. The virus is not like, what was that last comment? Or, or he did what now? And so it's really, we've really had to focus on the story of the pandemic and on his handling of it. And it has affected people in a way that Trump apparently pressuring the president of Ukraine to announce an investigation into a political rival did not, right? And, and that's not that's not an insult to a voter in Wisconsin. That's the reality that if you're, you know, if your loved one is dead from this virus, and you have you hear the president saying, well, we're turning the corner, that that is going to have a resonance with you that President Zelensky does not. So yes, I agree with that. That Bloomberg uh, take, I guess, is the short answer. And, and, and Emily, you're clearly leaning towards the Democrats. Danielle's been very honest about the flaws of the candidate she's thinking of voting for. 
Joe Biden, I mean, what sort of a, a campaign do you think he's had? Is he is he the candidate you would want to vote for if if you'd had a choice of, of other Democrats? Well, I and I, I should say that I work for an, an openly progressive publication. And if I were a member of a, like at a, a different political outlet, I would probably not uh, speak so freely, which I think is something that the media has has had to reckon with during these four years, right? Like, what is objectivity? What is transparency? What is accountability? Joe Biden, I will just say, was not my, may not have been my first choice, but I think that the fact that he is the candidate and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren is not speaks to how moderate much of the Democratic base is, right? Like, they, they were presented with these two visions. They chose this one. Um, I think, would, would you have preferred a, a Sanders or a Warren? Would I personally? I think yeah. that if I think that if one <laughs> reads my political writing, the game is kind of given away. So yes, I would have. I I consider myself to be a progressive. I don't particularly think that Joe Biden is, but I think that with Joe Biden, one gets a a politician, and I think that that is attractive to a lot of. So I mean, just to not to like pick on my dad, and this is obviously purely anecdotal, but my father has never voted for... I'm sure he'll appreciate it. <laughs> yes, my father has never voted for a Democrat before. He wrote in Mitt Romney in 2016. He lives in New York, and he's voting for Joe Biden this election. And it, it's, it's because of the sense of like, can we please just get back to politics as usual? Now, there is a whole crop of people for whom, on both sides for whom that is a very unattractive proposition, either because they really like Trump and they like they like this way of doing things, or because, as you know, Danielle alluded to, there are people who want to see the the court packed and have DC added to uh, to you know to see DC and Puerto Rico become states and abolish the electoral college. And Joe Biden is not it, he is not that candidate, but he is the candidate who the Dem- who I think he is the candidate that most Democrats felt could win the White House back from Donald Trump and and things like, you know, big progressive policy pushes and things like, you know, having a woman or having a person of color, that was less important to most Democratic voters than having someone who they thought could beat Donald Trump. And do you think he's the candidate who would be able to return America to some sort of normalcy, you know, like your dad would be voting for? I I, honestly, I don't think that we are. I don't think that I think anybody who thinks we can go back to a pre-Trump era should should disabuse themselves of that notion. I think that our politics are different. You know, the way that we speak is different. The way that we, the way that we talk about the media is different now. I think that there is a whole, there's, there are, you know, younger Democrat, younger Republican, excuse me, voters who are modeling themselves off of Trump. Like if you look at representative Matt Getz in Florida, who's a young prominent Republican, I think he's certainly trying to be more in that mold. You also have, you know, the so-called squad. So the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, and these are now forces that have greater voices in, in American politics. What I, I do think that, uh, that Joe Biden will be a more obviously traditional president than Donald Trump. So even if it's not politics as usual, I think it will be president a little bit more as usual, which is the appealing notion to my uh, my father, who's been unfairly called out in this in this recording. <laughs> and Danielle, you know, you you mentioned the the protests that we've seen already this year. Whoever wins this election. How do they bring the country back together again? Do you think that's possible? No, I agree with Emily. I think she's right. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, we've ended up in these armed camps that are that are very hard to reconcile. And the problem for Joe Biden is that if he is the victor tomorrow or this week or sometime soon, we hope, that that he doesn't represent a party that 
that wants to go back to 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 when Joe Biden was you know a younger and 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 more vibrant senator. Let's say he represents a party that 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 has drifted, much like Emily described the the GOP being you know very much a party that is is perhaps hasn't changed as much, but is certainly in the process of change. And I don't think those changes are going to lend themselves to an easy reconciliation. It's really, and, it, and, and honestly, even if Donald Trump weren't the candidate, even if Joe Biden weren't the candidate, it's hard for me to think about who, who those candidates would be, who have the leadership and the respect and the, and, and the consensus building ability that they could actually sort of stop us in our tracks, end our bickering, end our inability to 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 agree whether it's you know night or day, black or white. Um, that's a challenge for us, and it's a challenge for for those of us in Washington who spend a lot of time talking about this, and uh, and and find it very difficult to constantly disagree. <laughs> Well, that's a rather alarming prospect of division for the foreseeable, but um, we'll certainly all be gripped watching the results as they roll in over the next few days, probably. But thank you both so much for talking to us. That's Danielle Pletka and Emily Tamkin. Um, I'm Manveen Rana, and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared.